Hello, everyone. This is your host, So Zhang Li, and I am proud to present to you today's topic, the five SEL core competencies, what they are, and why they are important to you as a future healthcare professional and for living life in general. Today, you will be listening to a discussion with the members of the Bluesology team from the 2021 MIM Virtual Leadership Internship Program, which is being held in partnership with Long Island University and Sanford Harmony. Recording live from all over the country, Thursday, December 30th, 2021. This is the first and last podcast in this series. Before I call in any of our guest speakers, allow me to give you a brief introduction of what exactly the SEL core competencies are. The SEL values, also known as the Castle Five, addresses five broad and interrelated areas of skills, which include self-awareness, self-management, social awareness, relationship skills, and responsible decision-making. The Castle Five can be applied in various aspects of life in order to achieve academic success, school and civic engagement, health and wellness, and a fulfilling career. Now we introduce our first guest from the Bluesology team, Natu, our parliamentarian. She'll be introducing the first SEL value, self-awareness. Hello, Natu, how are you doing today? Hi, I'm doing great, how are you? Good, thank you for asking. Can you give a brief introduction of yourself for our listeners? Yes, so my name is Natu and I am a recent grad from the University of Central Florida um, that majored in biology pre-med with a minor in Africana studies. And I am pursuing a lifetime goal of becoming a pediatrician um, in my gap year studying for my MCATs and hoping to move on to medical school. Fantastic. All right, Natu. So what exactly does it mean to be self-aware? So to be self-aware, according to the CASCL website, is just being able to understand your own emotions, thoughts, and values, and how behaviors come across context. Um, This can include recognizing your own strengths and weaknesses with a well-grounded sense of confidence and purpose. So essentially, if I were to wrap up what self-awareness is, it's just knowing who you are um, and areas of your life that you um, can see like you are just your true sense of self. So knowing wherever you have strengths, knowing where you can improve, and just having that ability to understand um, that concept of yourself within all concepts um, and contexts, such as um, in your family relationships, whether in your professional relationships and academia um, and in those scopes of the world. Thank you. Well, that sounds well and good, but why is it important to be self-aware? Any anecdotes that you'd like to share? Yes, of course. So that definition was very big and heavy, right? You needing to know who you are. And sometimes that um, gives you like this huge burden, like who am I, right? It's like a philosophy, who am I? You're trying to figure out. um, And the person that you are could change over time. And so it's important to be aware because As time goes on, you sometimes change, your preferences change, um, your purpose change, and 
just having a, an important self-worth or like awareness of who you are allows you to know how to maneuver in leadership contexts, um, how to maneuver in relationships. It helps give you power to influence outcomes and to help make better decisions, regardless of whatever those decisions may be. It could be in your personal life, as well as in your professional lives um, and how you interact with others. So uh, not only does knowing who you are help give you a better sense of self, but it helps you to understand the world around you and have perspectives of others so that you can impact people in a powerful way. That was very insightful, Natu, thank you. I think our listeners would like to know, do you have any advice on how one can be more self-aware? Yes, so I definitely recommend um, taking time to have self-reflection. I tend to reflect um, at least once a month. Um, some people wait till the end of the year, but we change so often. Sometimes we have so many different ideas, so many new things that are going on that sometimes you have to recognize, hey, I'm not the same not to I was when I was 16, you know, to now, you know, at 21 and I won't be the same at 40. So just taking those in perspective, sometimes you have people that come across your life um, that influence you in a, in a major way. And so your perspective can change and it's re just really good to take time to self-reflect. I often like to reflect um, by journaling. I think that's important. Um, I sometimes go back to some of the old entries that I had. Um, find out what kind of goals that I like um, have and, and some of the interests that I had and see if they correlate um, just to make sure that I'm maintaining my purpose. Um, I also think it's important to speak with your peers, people that know you, your family, your friends, um, colleagues, just to kind of get a better understanding of how they perceive you and does it correlate with how you perceive yourself are there areas of growth? Um, are there areas that you didn't know that people compliment you on, um, but you didn't know? And so just having others, speaking with others can kind of help build that sense of self as well. So uh, I think that it's important to do self-reflections uh, by going on walks or journaling um, to help make sure that you're, you're self-aware and giving yourself some timeline to do so. That was really good advice. Sounds like you gained a great understanding of self-awareness this past week. So I have to ask, what is the one thing you learned about self-awareness during this internship that gave you your aha moment? Yeah, so this internship was very insightful. I mean, there's been lots of nuggets, but if I were to choose one thing, I think I would go with the communication aspect. Um, I always felt like I was a very great communicator. You know, I sometimes over communicate. And I think that I realized this aha moment that even though communication is really, you know, a good thing, you have to do effective communication. You need to make sure that you're intentional about 
what you communicate and how you communicate knowing your audience. So I, you know, I would not want to emotionally dump on another person if I know that I'm someone who um, is very empathetic and I feel and I have a lot of passion, just making sure to monitor that, right? Having the self-awareness to say, okay, let me check myself. I may not want to say all these things that are, that are bothering me at this time, you know, um, all in one jump, because that person may not have the capacity to take on all of my um, concerns and thoughts and ideas. So just being mindful that I can ask the person, hey, um, are you okay? Like, is, is this a good time that we can talk? You know, I really have something off my chest. And just giving another person the autonomy to say, yes, I'm, you know, I'm available or, hey, can you check back with me? Um, so I think like that gave me an aha moment because I had to understand that like communication doesn't mean that I'm the one doing all the communicating and doesn't mean that I have to communicate everything. You know, I also have to be um, an active listener. I have to... Uh, know how to like engage the other person, not only be selfish about like expressing what I want, but also how can I have that person understand that they are benefiting from um, our relationship? Is it a mutual relationship or is it a one way? So that gave me um, a lot of courage and insight on how I should communicate uh, more effectively and um, just to be aware of the people that are around me and um, to empathize more with people that are from different backgrounds and perspectives. So um, I think moving forward, that's gonna help me out a lot um, and help me to reflect as I move into the new year. All right, yes, active listening, very important indeed. It's something I think uh, everyone could really work on uh, often uh, when they're speaking with other people. Well, thank you for joining us today, Natu. Thank you so much for having me. Yes, <laughs> thank you. Uh, and we, I hope to see you in the future past this internship. Uh, well, we will now introduce our second guest, Prisha, one of Bluesology's co-moderators. She'll be introducing our second SEL competency, social awareness. Hello, Prisha. Hello, good afternoon. Good afternoon. It's nice to have you. Can you give a brief introduction of yourself for our listeners? Yes, um, I am currently a junior in high school in California. Um, like Natu, I would love to pursue a career in the medical field, although I do not know yet what I would like to specialize in. That's fine, that's fine, totally fine. So, Prisha? What does it mean to be socially aware? Okay, so according to the Department of Education, social aware or to be socially aware um, is really the ability to take the perspective and empathize with others, including those from diverse backgrounds and cultures. It's really the ability to understand social and ethical norms for behavior. Um, social awareness can be applied in all sorts of situations, including environments, cultures, communities, places of differing societal norms, problems, or struggles, just really any area that makes up the social element in which we reside. 
um, being socially aware is all about taking the focus of ourselves in the moment and beginning to think about those around us. According to the Chrysalis Hype blog, social awareness is composed of four different factors, which include emotional intelligence, perspective taking, social capital, and cultural proficiency. Now, it sounds like I'm talking about a lot of big words, but kind of to give you guys an idea of social awareness in real life, um, in an article from the Greater Good Science Center of Berkeley, they illustrate many different examples of social awareness and quote unquote, they state, an example is a history teacher cultivates students empathy by encouraging them to put themselves in the shoes of people on opposing sides of history to help them understand both how they came to their views in the first place and why certain decisions were made. So here we see this history teacher is cultivating a new sense of empathy, which plays a really big role in social awareness, just to be able to understand the perspective of other people in this certain times or periods of history. That was very nice, Prisha. Thank you for that example. Uh, but why do you think it's important to be socially aware? And why is it especially important in the healthcare setting? Right. So um, as a quick little thing, we all know that Aristotle noted that man is by nature a social animal. So it's really important or key that social awareness plays a strong role in all or differing circumstances today. Um, we come, we often come into contact with people of many different situations. And if we have the capacity to understand their background, it ensures a sort of reliance and comfortness, which plays a really, really big role in building sustained relationships. Um, these stronger relationships lead to more positive interactions with others. And this you know, type of exponential curve kind of continues to grow. Uh, social awareness plays a important role in conflict management as well. So just the idea of being able to look into the other person's point of view, we can ourselves understand why they feel that way, act that way, or, you know, think that way, allowing for a bigger chance of compromise or agreement. Um, in the healthcare or field or in a medical setting, social awareness is especially essential for the reason that discrimination against factors of any sort of factors is dramatically lessened. Um, bias against many typically stereotyped groups are rooted in the ideal of differing beliefs and cultural standing. So those with a present sense of social awareness prove to have more perception of others' behaviors, cognitions, motivations, and emotions as talked about in an article by Frontiers in Psychology. Um, to really be able to understand these key factors, it helps or aids any sort of physician or any worker in that case in the medical setting to take responsible care of others. Um, as I talked about earlier with my history teacher example, um, social awareness creates this really strong sense of empathy, which allows for an approachable connection between patients or colleagues. Thank you for your answer. Yes, empathy is very, very important in the healthcare setting. And for our readers out there, I highly recommend the book Compassionomics. Very good book. Uh, now, I know some listeners out there struggle with social awareness as it is not really a topic conventionally taught in school. Uh, do you have any advice on what ways we can be more socially aware? Yes, I do. Um, according to the CASEL framework, there are 
nine different ways in which we can develop social awareness. So the first way is just being able to identify different social cues to determine how other feels. So there are two types of social cues, one of them being verbal, which can be presented through speech or voice, and the other being physical, which is mainly communicated through body language and movement. Um, the second way in which we can develop social awareness is just by taking others' perspectives. So just being able to step into someone else's point of view and understand, you know, if I can't really look at it from the outside, how can I get it from the inside or do research on my own? Um, the third way is demonstrating empathy and compassion. Um, empathy is really just the ability to understand and share the feelings of another. So it's kind of showing liking or understanding, just like Natu was talking about being there for others, communication is really important in being socially aware. Um, the fourth is being or showing concern for the feelings of others. The fifth is understanding and expressing gratitude. The sixth is recognizing strengths in others. The seventh is identifying diverse social norms, including the unjust ones. Um, so even if it's something that you personally do not stand with, it's just good to be able to recognize and identify those different social norms. Um, the eighth is recognizing situational demands and opportunities. The ninth is caring about and being motivated to contribute to the well-being of one's families, friends, school, community, the environment, and just to kind of generalize just the greater good. Solid advice, Prisha. Thank you. Mm -hmm. uh, last question for you. Uh, what is one thing you learned about social awareness this week that stuck out to you? Um, so one really, really big thing that stuck out to me after this week about social awareness is its interconnectedness with relationships. Um, you really don't think about social awareness or just the term itself when, you know, making friendships or personal family relationships. But from if there's anything that I learned, it's just being able to accept and understand everyone on a personal level builds this sort of like bond and glue, which creates this really strong sense of trust and rapport, as I talked about earlier in one of the questions. Um, relationships are a really important part of everyone's lives. And, you know, the stronger our relationships, the more positive things we are able to experience and just go through on our day to day life. Thank you. And that was actually a great lead in for what is our next topic, which uh, we will present shortly. Uh, thank you, Prisha, for your time. Thank you for having me. Yes, I hope I wish you a good evening. <laughs> now it is time for our third guest to join us, Hafiz, who holds the post of timekeeper in Bluesology. He will be introducing our next SEL core principle, uh, which Prisha kind of touched on with her last answer. Uh, relationship skills. Hello, Hafiz. Hi, Prisha. How are you? I'm good. And I'm sure Prisha is good as well. Oh, Can you I'm give sorry. a brief introduction? No, it's okay, Hafiz. Uh, can you give a brief introduction of yourself for our listeners? Yes, sure. So I am a sophomore at QCC. I am a former nursing student. Uh, so this fall, I was uh, getting into the nursing but uh, due, uh, due to I have like some internships in the summer, I really found that uh, I, I'm interested in uh, medicine. 
So I quit nursing uh, to require my fashion um, of uh, getting into the medical school and become a doctor. And I'm currently an EMT as well. That's amazing, Hafiz. I wish you the best of luck. All right, Hafiz. Oh yeah, of course, of course. I wish everyone, all of our listeners, the best of luck in whatever they do. All right, Hafiz, just to start off, what does it mean to have relationship skills? So according to the Castle website, um, so the relationship skills are the ability to establish and maintain healthy and supportive relationships, you know, to effectively navigate settings with diverse individuals and groups. This includes the capacities to communicate clearly, listen actively, cooperate, work collaboratively to problem solving, and negotiate conflict constructively, and navigate settings with different social, cultural, and demand opportunities, provide leadership, and seek or offer help where and whenever it's needed. So if I just, um, if I just say this in one sentence, it's, it's actually a, uh, it's a trait that we have or we will acquire in a, uh, over the lifetime that uh, help us to maintain our relationship in social settings, whether it's personal, professional, or any settings we will have. Thank you, Pathis, for your explanation. Uh, now I know a lot of our lone wolf type listeners out there might be asking, the same question in their head. Uh, why is it important to have relationship skills? Do we really need them? Yes. Um, so relationship skills are very important to achieve stability and success in personal and professional lives. You know, from building and maintaining healthy and meaningful relationships to interact or communicate effectively, from perceiving others' perspective to persuade our beliefs we need to have strong relationship skills. Look, you know, everything in this universe wants to become more and more stable. If we sing from the electrons of an atom to the giant stars up there in the space, everything wants to gain stability. So thus we humans want to gain the stability as well. So the relationship skills are like a toolkit for getting that stability, that success, whether talking about building relationships or communicating effectively, we need to master these relationship skills to gain that success, to gain that stability that um, we need that. This is a natural phenomenon that we want that stability and success. So the relationship skills really helps us to, to get that uh, success and stability. That sounds very, very nice but it is definitely not easy for everyone, especially for introverts like me, to connect with other people. Can you give some advice on some ways we can develop our relationship skills? Yes. Um, so develop, everyone wants to develop relationship skills, whether intentionally or unintentionally. So there is um, you know, different ways to develop relationship skills, but there's one word that, um, you know, there is one thing that, all skills need to have. This is the basic, right? And this is the building trust. The building trust is the master key to develop relationship skills. And in order to develop relationship skills, we need to know how to win people, 
how to win people's heart. You know, there is a famous book called uh, How to Win Pe Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie. He wrote this book in 1937. And the rules he discovered are still valid in today's age. You know, he talks about putting yourself in other people's perspective, seeing through their eyes, seeing through what they want and align it what we want. He gave an example, like if you want to tail a fish, you need to see from the eyes of the fish. You need to provide that fish the worm so it will get into your trap. Like if you don't, uh, you know, if you don't provide the worm, if you just provide them something that you like, for example, like strawberry or banana or anything that you like, the fish will not gonna come in your trap. So this is actually seeing others from they seeing others from not your eyes but their eyes so everyone you know in today's world everyone is playing their own stories and um we are just protagonists we are stars in our stories we don't care nobody cares about other people's stories so in order to develop relationship skills we need to become genuinely interested in other people's life and gain that trust that help us to you know, develop our relationship skills. We need to actively listen to people. You know, instead of just talking and talking, we need to listen to people. You know, when we're talking to people, we need to rephrase what they're asking you know, uh, so they will have better answer themselves. We, we don't need to judge people. We just uh, you know, need to rephrase their questions so they will answer it. Uh, and also, you know, whether, you know, we're talking about conflicting ideas, this is still valid, you know, we can, you know, talk about our mistakes first, and then, uh, you know, try to tell them uh, through our mistakes that uh, this could be a wrong direction for them. So this is, these all skills can help us develop a great relationship skills. Wow, thank you, Hafiz, yes. And active listening has come up again. It is a very important skill, everyone. If you take away nothing else, please take away that lesson. And yes, building trust really is key, I agree. Uh, I will most certainly check out that book. Sounds very interesting. Uh, now, I'm curious. What is one thing you learned about relationship skills this week that you feel is important for our listeners to know? Yes. Um... So I basically came to United States like about uh, two years ago. And, um, you know, coming from a different country um, and, um, you know, settling here, it's, um, I, I was, you know, I was able to get to, the, uh, get to know the people like different religions and different, you know, um, ethnicities. So um, through this week, I, I learned about one thing. I think that is most interesting for me to learn, like, I have learned about seeing the differences in a way that helps nourish strong relationship skills. You know, I learned to fascinate instead of getting frustrated um, while seeing people that are different from us. Like we all have differences. We can have like cultural differences. There are some habitual differences, emotional, professional, or we can have like, we can be a different person, but there's, you know, what we can do to, you know, um, don't get these things in our way is um, we need to fill these gaps, that differences 
with a fascination so we can create a cloud that help us to build a strong relationship. So um, it really helps us to understand, you know, other people's feeling, what they value, what they prefer, you know, what their perspective is. This is one thing that I learned um, to change frustration into fascination while seeing the people that are different from you. And um, I want to deliver this to our listeners who want to develop relationship skills. Thank you so much for your insight, Hafiz. Um, thank you, Lee, for having me. Of course. Next up, I would like to introduce Tasnim, who also acts as a co-moderator of Bluesology. She will be introducing the fourth SEL value, responsible decision-making. Welcome, Tasneem. Uh, hello, uh, thank you so much for having me, and uh, how are you? Good, thank you for asking. Uh, we are glad to have you. Uh, can you give a brief introduction of yourself for our listeners? Sure, so my name is Hazem Tharnum, and I am a senior at the University of Buffalo studying biological sciences with a minor in society, medicine, and health. Uh, I'm very interested in cognitive disorders, uh, healthcare disparities, as well as neuroscience. Uh, for now, I am interested in the healthcare field, but I'm not sure which route to choose. Um, and yeah, I'm... All right, thank you. Uh, maybe this is obvious, Tasneem, but can you explain what is meant by responsible decision-making? Uh, sure. So in the CASEL website, responsible decision-making is the ability to make caring and constructive choices about personal behavior and social interactions across diverse situations. It also includes the capacity to consider ethical standards and safety concerns, as well as to evaluate the benefits and consequences of various actions for personal, social, and collective well-being. Um, one important thing to note about uh, the human brain is that it's not fully developed until you are 25 years old. And that is due to the fact that the prefrontal cortex, which is responsible for decision-making, does not fully develop in a human until they reach the age of 25. Um, and however, you can also make responsible choices by considering the consequences of your actions. And this strengthens the connection between the prefrontal cortex and the amygdala, which are both responsible for um, the decisions we make on a regular basis. And so I think it's really important to consider that young adults are growing and learning more, but you can also strengthen your decision-making skills before you reach the age of 20, which I think is ideal for many people. Uh, oh yes, what, that was really fascinating, fascinating facts. Sounds like you know a lot about the brain. Perhaps you took a neurology or psychology course in university. Uh, well, in your opinion, why is it important to acquire the skill of responsible decision-making? I think it's important because of three reasons. One reason is uh, to due to individual and collective health. Uh, another reason is to make decisions that promote uh, well-being. And the third reason is to engage in collective action on important issues for a better society and environment. Um, making good 
decisions for yourself alleviates stress and helps you accomplish goals over the course of your life. And those goals can change depending on the situation and the environment you're on. And making good choices can also impact the people around you that you may know, but also the people you care about, such as your family and your close friends. I think that's why responsible decision-making is so essential um, because it not only affects your health, but also the health and well-being of those around you. And another important thing to take away is that it can also help, help develop soft skills such as respect, empathy, and compassion. When you really consider what goes into making a good responsible decision, um, you also get to understand the people around you and what really motivates them and their perspective. So it's not you only on an island, you have to consider will this decision uh, negatively impact the people around me or will this decision negatively, negatively impact the environment? Because there are super easy and very straightforward solutions to issues, but they're not always the best, uh, best way to go about solving an issue. Um, and one of the examples in which I, uh, my class was responsible for like considering a really important issue was in a sociology of aging class. So one thing we talked about is the, so, um, the social security system and the pension system in the United States. It does help a lot of people, but we realized very quickly that it negatively impacts um, the elderly who are low income, but also people with chronic conditions that need a lot more help in kind of going about their daily lives. So we considered like possible solutions such as giving more money to low income um, elderly uh, people, but also giving more support like uh, and having more facilities for people who do have chronic conditions. So I think it's really important to kind of discuss this um, decision making skills with a class because it allows you to kind of voice your own ideas but also see to see the perspectives of other people who may have similar but also diverse interests. Uh, some people were considering kind of privatizing pen the pension system which would in my opinion negatively impact uh, people of lower economic status so it was just interesting to see, you know, a varied collection of ideas on one specific topic and to see more than one uh, take on an issue that's essential in today's society. Very, very deep insight. Thank you, Tasneem. Uh, you're right. Your decisions definitely impact everyone around you and the consequences can be far reaching. Uh, so I'd love to know, what are some ways that you know of on how we can be more responsible decision makers? I think you can uh, go through a, a couple of simple steps. The first is which to identify the problem, which seems like very basic, but some problems require more thought and effort than others. And depending on the complexity of the issue that you're presented with in a class or even in your own personal life, you may find it easier to ask for help. Um, and this help can come from professors, your family, your friends, or even scholars who have written about this issue. And the next step is to analyze the problem and understand why this issue came to be and how this issue came to be as well. Um, I think 
understanding the background of an issue is really essential in moving forward in coming up with possible solutions. So the third step is to consider various solutions. And so the CASEL website um, actually cites the SODAS framework. And SODAS stands for Situation, Options, Disadvantages, Advantages, and Solutions. And you would work with defining what the solution is, but also possible pros and cons for all of the options um, based on a specific situation. This situation can be um, kind of like fictional. It can also be a situation that um, personally affects a lot of people, say in the United States or globally. And you should also consider the ethical responsibility um, of the various options that you're presented with or that you present to your class or your small group. Because like I mentioned before, it is so easy to get caught up in a solution without considering the pros and cons of that specific solution and kind of like the long lasting effects of that specific option. Um, and then having a discussion is what I think is really essential in helping you develop your responsible decision-making skills. Um, because when you see other people's perspectives and other people's explanations of why a specific solution could be like really negative or really positive, you can also develop your own opinions or kind of like, you know, have a back and forth where you kind of really understand why um, a specific solution could be like the possible way for your issue. Um, I think having a good discussion is also essential in self-reflection because what you may think going into a specific group or a specific problem may, not, may be completely different from your takeaway at the very end. I think it's really great um, when you uh, can kind of like learn from other people. And I know that, um, you know, discussion-based uh, exercises aren't for everyone. So another way of kind of, you know, identify, visualizing, and solving a problem is through a flowchart in which you can kind of like be a little more artistic and creative in what you think the issue is, why it's important, and possible solutions that you think a person in this situation could take. Uh, and having more responsible uh, decision-making um, aspects of any course uh, really connects the students and maybe even professionals with, you know, the issue that's being involved and helps engage with, say, their professor, but also their fellow peers. Wow, thank you for all of your advice, Tasneem. It was very thoughtful of you to take into consideration all types of students and learning styles. Uh, so it sounds like you have gained a very deep understanding of responsible decision-making during the course of this internship. So what is one thing that you learned about responsible decision-making during this week that really resonated with you? Um, one of the things that really resonated with me is the fact that responsible decision-making um, is a very like careful consideration of an issue and how it relates to a wider group of people than you may, um, consider initially, right? Because when you have an issue, it, sometimes it does feel very personal, very like, 
kind of like something you want to deal with alone, but not all issues have to be like that. Sometimes you can reach out to other people. I think personally, it is better for you to reach out in issues that seem very overwhelming at first. And I think it's really great to kind of ask for help because it just allows you not only to learn, but also to care about other people and their perspectives. Um, it also helps with um, building relationships, which I think is essential in any field you go into, but also in university where you'll probably meet a lot of people who have varied backgrounds that you may not understand. But even talking about an issue such as global warming and, you know, like major issues and possible solutions can really open you up to people that you may not necessarily have, um, you know, talked to before. And it also shows you more important uh, aspects, such as like, perhaps there's, um, you know, a group of people doing great work in environmental studies that you had never heard about, but someone else did because of their own research or their own passions. By having more diverse um, voices in, uh, in a group really exposes you to more than one way of thinking and also helps you kind of like get into this feeling of, you know, people aren't that much different as you may initially think. They may offer different perspectives than you, but you can also collaborate with more diverse groups than you initially thought. And I think that's what's really great about, you know, like kind of a global society. And um, even with this group, like, learning more about people's backgrounds and like what motivates them to be in the healthcare field really um, encourages me as well. All right. Thank you for sharing your wisdom with us today, Tasneem. Uh, now I would like to call in Bella, our Bluesology co-scribe. She will be talking about the fifth and final SEL competency, self-management. Uh, nice to have you, Bella. Hi, thank you for having me. Can you give a brief introduction of yourself for our listeners? Yes, yeah, so my name is Bella Navarez, and I am a junior biological sciences major at Cornell University. I am currently planning to take two gap years before applying to medical school, and I'm currently interested in a lot of fields, but specifically uh, surgery and neurology. Surgery and neurology, wow. Tough fields. Uh, good. Best of luck. Uh, I hope you get into your dream school. Uh, well, I would first like to ask, what exactly does self-management entail? Yeah, so it is the ability to manage one's emotions, thoughts, and behaviors in different situations. For example, self-management could be delaying gratification or managing stress or motivating yourself to achieve goals. Uh, I think self-management is very complex in that sense. Um, we tend to think of it as just managing time, but it's also one's emotions, one's thoughts and behaviors. Um, those that successfully self-manage have extremely strong self-discipline and, and are motivated and usually have strong organizational skills. And for me personally, self-management is the ability to push myself to do what is necessary, even when I do not wanna do it um, at the time. For example, throughout this past semester, I sort of struggled to adapt to in-person classes after a year of online, like many of us, you know, experienced. And at times I felt very burnt out, but I effectively self-managed and was able to motivate, motivate myself to continue working hard, even when the, the going got tough. 
All right. Wow, very admirable. Well, in your opinion, why is it important for everyone, uh, not only for students like us or for anyone working in healthcare, uh, to know how to self-manage? Yeah, so it's important to know how to self successfully self-manage in order to achieve one's goals. The medical journey, as everyone knows, is very long and laborious, and it is easy to get burnt out. After spending your high school years preparing for the SAT um, and applying to college, you are subjected to a very difficult STEM-based curriculum with classes focusing on biology, chemistry, and physics uh, during your college years. And to top it off, you must prepare for the most difficult and longest graduate entrance exam, the MCAT. And if that wasn't enough, you'll then be subjected to the medical school admissions process to which no one is guaranteed a spot in medical school. And if that sounds difficult, you haven't heard half of it. Uh, once in medical school, there's no guarantee you'll be accepted to a resident program. And for some, it takes years to move on to residency. And throughout this process is extremely important to self-management, to self-manage your time. Um, or else it will be very easy to give up halfway through. So when one has the ability to motivate themselves and set their own goals, it's an extremely difficult process to push forward, but it is necessary and very um, worth putting your energy in um, in order to become um, the best doctor or physician you can be. So generally self-management is extremely important in maintaining one's goals, but it's also very helpful with maintaining one's positivity, self-awareness, stress management, responsibility, and even productivity. Sounds like it encompasses all of our uh, SEL topics that we've covered today. Uh, thank you. So as a student on a very rigorous path, I think you could offer some really valuable insight. Uh, what are some ways one can better self-manage? Yeah, so one can improve their self-management skills in a number of ways. Um, but the number one tip I want to focus on is try setting goals for yourself every week. And at the end of the week, if you can do so, please see how many goals you accomplished. For example, try writing five to 10 goals per week and then start off by aiming to achieve one or two of them. If you fail to reach them, try making your goals more attainable. And slowly over time, just trying to see how many more goals you can achieve every week. Additionally, another strategy one could use to help with their self-management skills is meditation. And this could be done in order to control one's emotions and lower one's stress levels. I personally have found meditation to be quite effective at lowering my stress levels, and I use it often, especially during the school year. Um, another stress management technique I have found is going to the gym. Uh, for example, or for many, ex exercise is a good way to work off negative emotions and thus combat any negative thoughts that may impede your self-management skills and your goals. So these are just some ways and tips that people can do um, to sort of help manage themselves emotionally, physically, and academically. Sounds simple, but definitely not easy to be consistent. Uh, so kudos to you, Bella. Uh, uh, those are very, those are definitely very effective ways. So thank you for sharing. Uh, so one last question for you. What is one thing you learned about self-management during this internship that you will apply to your own life? Yeah, so I personally learned so much about the internship. Uh, for instance, I really thought it was useful to be taught how to organize your day by dividing up each hour. I personally utilize Google Calendar in order to effectively manage my time. Um, since another aspect of self-management involves use, the use of planning and organizational skills, 
I'll definitely continue to use Google Calendar to fully plan out my days and how to most effectively make use of my time and my personal and academic goals. Uh, I also thought it was very um, useful to organize and create a contact list of possible mentors. Um, and I would like to personally use that in my life because while I do have a lot of mentors, I feel like sometimes we forget when to go to for like what problem. So I think it'd be very helpful to um, sort of organize that list of mentors that um, are useful in certain situations. But yeah, overall, this internship has taught me so much and um, it's really been helpful in terms of self-management. Well, thank you, Bella, so much for sharing. Uh, and now last, but definitely not least, I'd like to bring in Tiana, our other Bluesology co-scribe, to talk about her experience as an intern this past week. Hello, Tiana. Hi, how are you? Good, thank you. Uh, can you give a brief introduction of yourself for our listeners? Sure. Um, hello, my name is Tiana Brown. I'm a junior at the City College of New York. I'm an English major with a minor in biology. I do hope to attend medical school one day, but I do plan to take a gap year or two after college. Best of luck, Tiana. Uh, well, first off, how did you hear about this internship and what made you wanna sign up for this program? I heard about this internship from my advisor. Uh, she just emailed the list of internships. And at the time I was looking for internships for the spring and also for summer 2022. Uh, there are multiple internships I applied to and mentoring in medicine was one of them. After reading the description, I was interested in this internship and was excited about what I will learn, not only from the lessons and the program coordinators, but also from other students who were like myself in college or doing post back or taking a gap year and just like learn their process, their journeys. Now you also ask what made me wanna sign up for this program. I think it was the description because it was different from other internships and played an, placed an emphasis on building social and emotional skills that will help us not only in life, but as we pursue careers in medicine. Also, it just seemed like an internship that would foster a positive learning environment. Thank you. Yes, I also love how this program is open to all sorts of people and all steps and tracks of their uh, healthcare career. So I definitely agree with you there. Well, what makes this program uh, unique or stand out from other programs? And can you describe how this internship was structured? Sure. Um, I think this uh, internship is unique because it provides a community building experience and is very different from the cutthroat environment that medicine does kind of create. Uh, as students, we have to prepare for medical school, nursing school, any other graduate programs for medicine, and it is extremely stressful. We have to focus on grades, <laughs> extracurricular activities, volunteering, and finding the time to maintain our own lives, spending time with the people we love and care for ourselves. This program is big on self-improvement and finding ways to turn negative experiences or times when we believe we failed into lessons and motivation that will drive us to become that doctor, that nurse, or nurse practitioner, or whatever we choose to be. 
Also, this program is unique because of its mission to educate people who are in different phases of their lives, but still want to pursue a career in medicine. It's an extremely diverse program, like you said, and it doesn't just cater to a small percentage of people, but to everyone. Um, I stated earlier that this program allows students to learn from the lessons, learn from lessons and from other students. From the lessons we've learned about um, finding our learning type and how it connects to better study habits, um, ways to develop our critical thinking skills, um, and next other topics as well. Um, from other students, we just it creates an environment to learn from one another. And I've personally learned a lot from the other students in this organization, in this program, whether it's um, recommendations or methods they've used in their journey to overcome the obstacles they will face. Uh, for the structure of the internship, I'll just give a brief outline of the topics and some key things that we've learned. Uh, this, pro this organization, internship ran for five days and each day had a new social or emotional skill to learn about and eventually implement in our lives. Each day consisted of either a homework review, a lesson, a guest speaker, and group work to complete a capstone project. Day one was mainly focused on introductions, getting to know each other and what the program was about. Day two taught us about building resilience, we took an assessment to determine how resilient we were. And the guest speaker, Mr. Andrew Morrison, gave, in, gave advice about overcoming obstacles and redirecting self-doubt and negative talk that we pose onto ourselves into positive affirmations. Uh, day three was entitled Communicate with Power with an emphasis on polishing or networking skills and finding ways to communicate with potential mentors. Uh, day four was maximizing your, your study time and provided various ways to learn actively rather than passively. And this includes applications like Anki and to enhance our studying skills. Also, day five will be about redirecting, not redirecting, my bad, reducing stress. All right, thank you for that uh, great summary. And I definitely felt that as well. This internship had positive vibes all around. Uh, the positivity was off the charts this past week. And shout out to uh, Natu, who I feel is a great source of positive energy of our little bluesology group. Uh, so Tiana, what are some of your favorite moments from this internship? Some of my favorite moments from this internship uh, would be the conversations we had with Mr. Morrison. He gave great advice that would help us succeed and brought an inviting energy with each of his discussion. Some key points that I took away from his lectures, um, discuss finding motivation within ourselves to continue our journey, even when the people around us might doubt us, having open and engaging conversations with people with, um, of different beliefs and ideologies, and also the importance of participating and building trusting relationships when networking. I also like the fun activities associated with each lesson. Uh, for example, we played a game similar to cahoots and tried to answer questions related to the lesson. This also ties into why I think this program is unique because 
it does give the skills needed to be successful, but also makes it enjoyable and collaborative. All right, yes. What you said, I agree with every single part of it. So would you recommend this program to your family and friends? And do you have any advice for future interns? Definitely, I would 100% recommend this program to friends interested in medicine and who want to learn more effective social and emotional habits. My advice for future intern, I'm just gonna reiterate some of the lessons from Mr. Morrison that pertains to participating and creating trusting relationship with doctors and other medical professionals and even the coordinators of this a program like this. Another piece of advice I would give to future interns is to not compare your journey. This internship shows that there are so many people from different walks of life and sometimes you might feel like you're behind, but you're just, you're right on time. Like everything is going to happen when it's supposed to happen. It's important to keep goals, to track them, but also to appreciate the journey that you're on. It, no matter if you falter or you thrive, it's a part of your journey and you should always appreciate that and just celebrate every part of your journey. Thank you, Tiana, for your words of wisdom. Uh, well, all right, folks, that is a wrap. Thank you for listening to this podcast again with your host, Sojung Lee, and the Bluesology team. Uh, we hope you enjoyed our deep dive into the social and emotional learning core values. And if you're keen to learn more, feel free to visit the CSEL website at www.casel.org. And thank you also to the Leadership and Medicine team with a special shout out to Dr. Lynn Holden and Director Lizette Martinez. Uh, we wish all of our listeners the best in life and in their future in healthcare. And that's all for today, everyone. Bluesology signing off. <laughs>